0: Today we want to continue our, with our Lord on His journey. It's recorded here in Luke chapter 9. So if you turn to that text that was read by Mickey just a few minutes ago, when we come to this passage in Luke chapter 9, and the Lord is on His journey to Jerusalem, we come to a dramatic bend in the road. It's a dramatic moment. It is really a crucial shifting point. In our Lord's life, He is on His mission. And we're going to see this morning how He made a determined decision to carry that mission out that His Father had given Him. And aren't we eternally grateful for that? Absolutely. Recently, Susan and I were uh, watching uh, a movie on television, one of my favorite uh, movies. Made back in 1989, the title is Glory. Maybe you're familiar with that. It stars uh, Morgan Freeman and also uh, Denzel Washington. As a matter of fact, he uh, won Academy Award for uh, that movie. And they play the part of the parts of two soldiers who are two soldiers who are part of the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. Something unique about that regiment that was the first regiment in the Union Army which consisted of all black soldiers except for the officers. Many of these men were former slaves But they had determined to fight for their brothers and sisters, fight for the cause of freedom. Confederate Army had been issued a decree that any black person found in a Union uniform was to be executed. Any officer who was found to be an officer giving orders to black soldiers was to be executed. Well, the colonel of this regiment, he is portrayed by Matthew Broderick, but the colonel in real life was a very young man by the name of Robert Gould Shaw from Boston. He was of an aristocratic family, and his family were uh, committed abolitionists. He led these soldiers, got them into an incredible fighting force. They experienced uh, much discrimination, much abuse, even from other soldiers in the Union Army. But they showed themselves so faithful in battle and so zealous that in July of 1863 they were given the privilege of leading the charge on Fort Wagner which was located on Morris Island just outside of Charleston, South Carolina. They would lead this charge, it would be a frontal assault on the fort, and the only way of approach was by a narrow strip of beach. All those soldiers knew exactly what they were facing. And in the movie, there's this very, very memorable moment where Colonel Shaw rides his horse over to the edge of the surf. He hears the lapping of the waves. He smells the salty air. He's reminded of home. It's a beautiful day. He feels the, the warmth of the sun on his face. Life is beautiful. Life is precious. You can see it written on his face. But he has a duty to perform. He has a responsibility. If there is going to be freedom for enslaved people, he knows that that freedom is going to have to be purchased by sacrifice. He's going to need to lead these men. Because it's going to be first sacrifice, then freedom, and then comes glory. Colonel Shaw lost his life that day, hundreds of others of the regiment, but they also won glory, and they're also a part of bringing freedom to many millions of enslaved people in our country. Now, as moving as that That example is. And it always moves me deeply. There's incredible musical score beneath it. It just touches me deeply every time I see that. You know, I'm reminded it pales in comparison to King Jesus. The King of glory. And he was on his way home. But the only way that he could go home was to go to Jerusalem. And what was ahead for him in Jerusalem was suffering, abuse, and death. But the only way that slaves captive to their own sin could be set free is if the King of Glory went to Jerusalem, suffered and died, rose again. See, the way for the king was first. First, there must be the cross, and then the resurrection, the ascension, and the crown. Friends, that was true of our wonderful king as he made this journey, as he took the road to glory. This is the road to glory for our Savior. And I want us all to know this morning, and we're going to see from the words of Jesus, that if we are his disciples we are on the road to glory there must first be yes our cross but there's waiting the crown right there's waiting the crown now let's look at this passage that mickey's read for us i want to call your attention to some things that i think are so so powerful as we focus our attention on our lord who turned with incredible determination toward Jerusalem to carry out his father's will. First thing I want you to notice here is his resolve. Would you just notice here the resolve of the king toward his mission. Verse 51 says this. Notice verse 51 as we read in chapter 9. We are told, And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now this is a powerful expression here. So powerful. And these words clearly tell us that this is a turning point in Jesus' life. This is a turning point, but it's more than that, friends. Listen, it is a no turning back point. It is a no turning back point because King Jesus is on a mission. And His mission is a mission of destiny. It's a mission of destiny. Notice what it says here. It says in verse 51, The days drew near. This means that this was planned. This was ordained. The days drew near for Him to be taken up. Now notice, if you mark in your Bibles that phrase, taken up, that's the only time that noun is used In the entire New Testament, the word taken up here, it's the word analepsios. Only time the word, the noun is used here, it's used in a verb form once in Acts chapter 1, and it refers to Jesus' ascension. So when it says that the days drew near for him to be taken up, it means he knew the days were drawing near for him to return home. He had come from glory and it was time after these 33 years for him to go back to glory. For him to be taken up. This is exactly, you remember back in verse 31 on the top of Mount Transfiguration. This is exactly what Moses and Elijah talked to Jesus about. You remember? They appeared in the cloud with him, Moses and Elijah, and they talked to him about what? His exodus, his departure. That word in verse 31, departure, is exodus. Exodus. Jesus, with all of his heart, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you've been the king of glory? You are the king of glory. How you long to return. Read John 17 and listen to Jesus pray in the garden and you'll hear the longing of his heart to return home. But he can't be taken up until first he is lifted up. He must be lifted up on the cross before He can be taken up into glory. And He knows this. He knows this. And the Bible says He is determined. His mission is one of determination. Look at verse 51. He set His face. He set His face. The horror was before Him. He knew what was going to happen. But he set his face toward Jerusalem. He was committed to his duty. But friends, I want you to know something. Duty can be pretty thin at times, can it? You do something because it's your duty. That's the reason you do it. It's your duty. But there was something stronger than duty that caused Jesus to set His face toward Jerusalem. You know what it was? It was devotion. Devotion to His Father. Devotion to His Father's plan. Jesus is walking into Samaria... and a year or so earlier he had been there before with his disciples to meet a woman at the well and talk to her about the living water do you remember that and the disciples could not understand why their master would be talking to a Samaritan woman especially this Samaritan woman but here's what Jesus said in John 4:34 my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. You see, it wasn't just duty that made Jesus go to Jerusalem and the cross. It was devotion to His Father. This was the Father's great work for him and he loved his father so that he would do exactly what his father had called him to do. Now Jesus' mission is a mission of mercy, isn't it? Even on the way to Jerusalem, you you would think if he was on the way to Jerusalem, what would your attitude be? I I think I know what my attitude might be if I'm on my way to what is ahead even remotely compared to what Jesus was about to endure. I think my attitude would be rather downcast and my, my feet would be moving slow. How about yours? But you know what? Even though Jesus was on a mission to the cross, before He got there, He still was on a mission of mercy. How did He choose to get to Jerusalem? What was going to be His route? Through Samaria. Through Samaria. And what did He experience? On this mission of mercy, this mission of love, what did Jesus experience? He experienced rejection. That's the second thing I want you to see here. You see his resolve, the king's resolve, but I want you to notice what happens even when he's being merciful to come to Samaritans. There's rejection. Listen to verses 52 and 53. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now, what a tragic scene this is. Here comes the king of glory. Here comes the king of mercy. He's been in your area before and he came and he brought the water of life with him. He brought the message of salvation. Now he returns to that same region. He's headed to Jerusalem and he's rejected. The people in the village won't even let him come in. How tragic this is. As I look at this, it's doubly tragic. I want you to see two tragedies here. Would you look at these two tragedies? First of all, there's the response of the Samaritans. Why do they not receive Jesus? Why won't they receive him? Because he's headed to Jerusalem. And they are filled with such racial hatred and ethnic hatred for the Jewish people, they will not receive this one who is said to be the Messiah, but if he's the Messiah and he's going to Jerusalem, he's not our Messiah. He's not our Messiah. Because they had hated the Jewish people for centuries, the Jewish people had hated them for centuries, The Samaritans had their own temple that was built on a, another mountain in Samaria. It was called Mount Gerizim. It had existed there. And guess what some of the Jewish leaders had done about 150 years earlier? They had destroyed it and torn it down. And so there's just this racial hatred, this ethnic Hatred that's so consuming, but it blinds them. Their hatred and animosity blinds them to the grace of God. Now, the response of the Samaritans is terrible, but there's another tragedy here the response of Jesus' disciples, James and John. Look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, that is, they saw their master being rejected and scorned by these Samaritans, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now we see why they were called sons of thunder, right? Get another little look into their character. Not only were they sons of thunder, you could have called them sons of lightning. They want to call down fire from heaven. They they want to do what Elijah did in miniature. They want to do big time. Call down fire from heaven. You want us to do this, Lord? We'll take care of these people that won't receive you. Get out of the way, Lord. You want us to do this? They want to call down fire on the heads of people. Today, we'd call this the scorched earth policy. That's the way you deal with them. Scorched earth, nuclear option. That's the way you handle this. Today, a lot of people might excuse James and John. Really. Today, A lot of people excuse James and John. I mean, after all, you know, it's just their temperament. I mean, you know, it's just how they're wired electrically. It's their temperament. Hey, they're just blowing off some steam. It's just a little bit of road rage on the road to Jerusalem. That's a bad moment. Just a little road rage, right? Jesus understands. Not hardly. Listen to the reaction of the king. That's the third thing I want you to see. The reaction of the king concerning his mission. You see, that's their reaction. They don't want you, they don't want you, our leader. They don't want you to be in charge. Let's bring it down. What's the reaction of Jesus to that kind of spirit? In two of his closest disciples. This is James and John. Who've been with him just a few days earlier on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to Jesus' reaction. Verse 55. And when his disciples, James and John, saw that, excuse me, verse 54, Lord, you want us to call down fire, tell fire to come down from heaven, consume them? Now Jesus' reaction. But he turned and rebuked them. He turned and... And rebuked them. And the word rebuke them here means a sharp rebuke. A sharp rebuke. It means Jesus turned to them and he cut them off. Jesus turned to them and he made it clear. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance for that kind of attitude. Why? Because James and John were not just slightly wrong, they were completely wrong. They were completely wrong in two ways. First of all, they were completely wrong in regard to their authority to judge anybody. They were going to be judge, jury, executioner. They thought they had authority to carry out judgment on behalf of their king. I'm reminded of something Jesus said, aren't you? All authority on heaven and earth has been given what? To me. You don't have this authority. I am the judge. All judgment has been given to the Son. That's what Jesus said. All judgment has been given to me. I will decide when judgment comes. I will decide who gets judged and how they get judged. Vengeance is mine. It doesn't belong to you. None of you, my followers, have this permission, have this authority to carry out judgment in my name. It's not yours. James and John, inner circle, so close to the Lord, they thought they had authority to be judged. And he said, you don't have that authority. They were wrong in their belief in their authority to judge, but notice also, most importantly, they were wrong in their judgmental attitude. They were wrong in their judgmental attitude. This was not the spirit of their master. Three years he had trained them. Three years they had been with him. Three years he had poured his life into them. And this was not what Jesus was all about. He did not come to destroy lives. He came what? To save lives. He will come, yes, one day. He will come again and He will come as judge. And the Bible says when He comes as judge, He will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord. He will come. He will come in fiery judgment. That is prophesied. But He is the judge. No one else. No one else. He alone is the judge. And he has come. And his mission now is not to destroy. His mission is to save. That people might be saved. Brothers and sisters, listen to me here. What is Jesus saying? And it has not changed in 2,000 years. Don't miss it. the king here is making it very clear that his kingdom is not advanced with holy crusades. His kingdom is not advanced with Christian militia. That is a contradiction in terms. Holy crusade, Christian militia do not go together in the kingdom of God. king is not served, and his kingdom is not advanced. Listen, church. The king is not served, and the kingdom is not advanced by angry people. Say, so how do you know that, Sam? I found a verse. <laughs> I found it in my heart because With God's help, I put it there a long time ago. James 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved. Let every one of you be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Many people think, well, you know, I just got good and angry. Probably not. Probably one or the other. Very rarely do we get angry and we're good. Because we're so self-centered and self-focused. And that's what James and John were. This wasn't about Jesus. This was about them. Jesus, he cut them off. Do you see this? He rebuked them. He rebuked their spirit. He said, that's not what I'm about. That's not why I've come. That's not my mission. This does not advance my kingdom. You don't know the spirit that you're about. This is wrong. This week I came across a quote from bishop J C Ryle wonderful man of god 150 years ago he wrote these words listen carefully it is possible to have much zeal for Christ and yet to exhibit that zeal in a most unholy and unchristian way. It is possible to mean well and have good intentions, and yet to make the most grievous mistakes in our actions. It is possible to fancy that we have the Scripture on our side, and to support our conduct by Scriptural quotations. And yet, to commit serious errors. It is as clear as daylight from this and other cases related in the Bible that it is not enough to be zealous and well-meaning. Very grave faults are frequently committed with good intentions. From no quarter, listen carefully, from no quarter has the church received so much injury as from ignorant but well meaning men. That was written in 1858 to people of England. How appropriate it is for 2020 20 followers of the Lord in America. You see, listen carefully, church, holding the right position with the wrong disposition is still wrong. A right position doesn't make your wrong disposition right. You can be absolutely right. You can quote scriptures. You can articulate it well. You can expound it. You can draw it quite naturally from the scriptures. But if your motive isn't right, you're wrong. You're wrong. This is what the Lord is saying. His kingdom has no place for payback to our enemy. There is no place in the kingdom of God. There's no place in the church. There is no place for Christians to leave their places of worship and go out on a plan of payback to their enemies. You cannot do that and follow Jesus. Because Jesus said, I command you, love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good to them. Now you can do what Jesus commands or you can do what's patterned for you in our country. You've got to make your choice. We are not loving our enemies when we mock our enemies. whoever we may think our enemies are, we are not loving them by just not beating them up. We are not loving them by just not assaulting them. And we are not loving them when we're mocking them. Jesus rebuked that spirit then in his disciples, and friends, he rebukes it now. Now, who's your pattern to follow? God help us. God help us as Christians if for a moment we entertain the thought, well, that's just politics. God help us. When you stand before the Lord, you're not going to give an account about the politics of America in the early part of the twenty. 20- century first century. But we will give an account for our spirit. Every word out of our mouth. Friends, I want to tell you something. I thank God we're not going to stand before the great white throne, right? The day of judgment. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But friend, if you think standing before the judgment seat of Christ is just a Sunday school picnic, oh no. It's a dreadful thing. Friends, when Jesus rebukes you, there's only one response that's appropriate. What is it? Repent. Amen. It might be good just for a little sila moment here. You know what the word sila means? Have you ever read it in the Psalms? It means Stop. Stop, think about that, reflect on that, meditate on that. This, is, this might be a good a moment. It, it is for me. Well, let me tell you, I've had a a moment most of this week. <laughs> okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. I get it. Examine our hearts. Friends, listen. I know what is just nine days away. Examine your heart. Examine your spirit. Review conversations that you have had. Go out there on your social media feed. Read this passage. Read these words of Jesus. And then pass judgment on your post according to what Jesus said. Evaluate conversations. Evaluate what you're putting out there in the public square of media in light of what Jesus says here. And friends, we must prepare our hearts. This seal of moment, what are we doing? Lord, show me. I am not responsible for their actions. I'm responsible for my reactions. That's what I'm responsible for. Oh, Lord, prepare my heart. Lord, clarify my thinking. You are God, you are sovereign, you rule over all the affairs of this world. Lord, you are in charge. You are in control. My life is yours. And my anger is not accomplishing your kingdom purposes. Help me, Lord. Oh, friend, let's cry out to God for His Spirit to help us. You know what I love here about this example of Jesus? He was rejected, they might have picked up stones. As he was trying to come into the city. And this is deliberate. He had sent people ahead. This wasn't just a knee jerk reaction. They knew he was coming and they probably got the rock piles ready. And what did Jesus do to people who deliberately misused him and mistreated him? What did he do? Verse 56 he went on to another village. It didn't stop him on his mission. No, they rejected me. I'll never witness again. The man threw the track down. I'll never give another. A person made fun of me and my witness. I'll just be quiet. No, no. Jesus had a mission, and His mission was a mission of mercy. And if this village right now was rejecting Him, He'd go on to another one. But He would not become consumed in anger and bitterness. His mission was a mission of mercy. And you know what? He's living out an example that His disciples are going to remember because guess what? It's going to happen in just a couple of years or so. James and John are going to take the gospel to Samaria. And they're not going to be calling down fire on people's heads. They're going to be aflame with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And with the love of God. And they're going to tell the Samaritans about a crucified and risen Savior. And the Bible says... People came to the Lord in Samaria and there was great joy there. Well, Jesus continues to Samaria. Through Samaria, he's headed to Jerusalem. And guess who meets him on this road? I just want you to notice this. Guess who meets him on the road? He's met by some balls. (laughs) It's in the Greek. You've got to dig that out, okay? (laughs) Okay. He's he's met by some vols, actually, two volunteers and one that he recruits. Three, three people who are willing to go with Jesus. And Jesus makes three statements about what? Count the cost. As we close, just note these reflections. Note these reflections of the king about his mission. Three people are willing to join his team. Here's what you're going to notice. Listen carefully. Let me tell you what you're going to notice here, even if you don't notice it. (laughs) I'm going to tell you to notice it, okay? What hinders these three from following Jesus? It's not the evil. They're not hindered by the hold of evil on them. They're hindered, if they're hindered, By the hold of good rather than the best. The enemy of the best is not the worst. The enemy of the best is the good. Notice the first man, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew, in his gospel, tells us this man is a scribe and explains why Jesus responded the way he responded. Because a scribe was taken from the upper class, the aristocratic class. Someone who had the time and the leisure or family had the money to send him to get the years of training. So this man is used to a very, very comfortable life in many ways. And so what does Jesus tell him? Count the cost. Count the cost of what? Count the cost of creature comforts. If you want to follow me, count the cost. You may not have those creature comforts. <laughs> and he says, I, even though in the Messiah, I don't have the creature comforts. The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his, lay his head. Think of this. This is the creator of all things. This is the creator of all things and he does not have creature comforts. Think about it. He was born and laid in a borrowed manger at his birth. And he was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb at his death. The creator of all things. He said, if you follow me, You may have to give up these creature comforts. Are you willing to do that? What would you be willing to give up? Are you willing to give up the comforts? Notice the second man comes up. Verse 59. To another he said, just as Jesus is inviting him, he's recruiting him. Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go... And bury my father. Jesus sounds a little harsh in the way he responds. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, that sounds a little harsh. It's a word that comes to my mind. Really? What's going on here? Let the dead bury their dead. What's going on? Here's what's going on. His father's not dead yet. His father's not dying. You see, in that that culture, if you died in less than 24 hours, usually less than a few hours, you're in the ground. Or in a tomb, if you're wealthy. What's going on here? This man is saying, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you. But let me go back and I'll take care of Father. And when Father's done, I will follow you. And there's a little hint here. There's a little hint that something in his heart. What is it? When Father dies, guess what happens? The inheritance comes. If I abandon my Father, if I come after you, I'll be disowned. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You follow me and preach the kingdom. What in the world does he mean? He means this. There are some responsibilities that unconverted people can carry out. But only those who know me as Lord and Savior and have been converted by my grace, only they can share the good news. What's he telling him to count the cost? Count the cost of the comforts of home. Following Jesus means you may have to leave home. You may have to leave father and mother. There's nowhere written in the Bible that following Jesus means that you're going to be able to have all the generations of your family around you. The Lord calls some to follow Him and do what only the people of God can do. That is, share the gospel. Count the cost of the comforts of home. And then the third man, verse 61. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me... First, say farewell to those who are at home. (laughs) This seems reasonable. I don't even go back for dad's funeral. Just let me go back and say goodbye to my folks. Let me go back. And the, the Lord, though, all knowing as he is, he senses something in this man's heart. He senses something about his commitment, his understanding of what the call on his life might be. And so the Lord tells him to count the cost... Of the claims of family. Count the cost of the claims of family. Jesus knew this cost. Remember, Jesus had to, in serving His Father, on a number of occasions, could not obey His mother and His brothers and sisters. He couldn't obey them. Why? He had a higher allegiance. And there's a higher allegiance when you become um, into your maturity. There's a higher allegiance than any other allegiance in your life. And that is your allegiance to your Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And me as well. Jesus knows this man's already looking back. (laughs) He's talking about following Him, but he's already looking back. And Jesus said, verse 62, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven what's he saying he's saying those who follow me and are looking back they'll end up wanting to go back he's calling for a commitment that the first claim on our lives is his claim the first place in our life is Jesus Christ. And our first commitment is this commitment. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friend, I trust you're loved by your father. I trust you've been loved by your mother and are so if she's still alive. But friend, no one ever loved you like Jesus loved you. No one ever loved you like that. We're not told of these three men's decisions. Isn't that interesting? We're not told. We're not told. I think that is left open-ended for a reason, friend. Here's why I believe it's left open-ended. Listen carefully. What's our decision? What's your decision? Have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. And you know what? I've turned back. How about you? We've all turned back, haven't we? But by God's grace and His Spirit, we've got to turn around. And if we've turned back and fallen down by God's grace, through Jesus' forgiveness, we get up. And we pick up that old rug across again. And we may be staggering to glory. But we're staggering after Jesus. We're going to follow Him. Have we made that decision? Let's bow our heads. We're going to sing this. Will you pray it? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. It's a beautiful old chorus. But how powerful. But oh friend, make it a prayer. Make it a prayer and a confession. You're like that father. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But it is the desire of my heart to follow you, Lord? Lift me up out of this dust in the road. Lift me up out of this detour which I've taken. And help me to come back. Help me to come back. Dear friend, this is the cost of discipleship. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap, is it? Will you give your life to Jesus today? No turning back. No turning back. Oh, for the countless ages of eternity you'll never regret giving your life to Jesus.